I don't know. I think I've heard you say a few of those. I'm not sure. Just kidding. Moms, we do appreciate you. And uh, it is, it's good to laugh, uh, but you do put up with a lot. <laughs> not only from the kids, but from the husbands too, right? And so today, you know, your, your, your position, uh, ladies, your position in the church, in the kingdom of God is honorable. It's valuable. And we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning using a great example. I looked up this week uh, the list of the most popular names from the past year, from uh, 2021. Uh, and I just want to kind of share those. The top five girl names, top five boy names. Uh, we've had some new babies. Uh, some of you are new moms, and you uh, chose these na- chose a name recently. I've, I've uh, heard a couple of these names just uh, out and about with folks that have had babies this year, but and some of them are old names that have come back. The top five girl names. Number one is Amelia. Uh, number two is Charlotte. Number three is Aurora. Number four is Violet, and number five is Olivia. Uh, top five boy names. Number one is Oliver. Uh, that one's an old one that's come back, right? Uh, number two is Liam. Number three is Theodore. Number four is Ethan. And number five is Aiden. Uh, so those are the top five names. I went back, actually, and looked uh, at... Uh, a few decades ago, the 90s is a list that I found. I was just looking to see what lists I could find. And the top three boy names from the 90s was Michael, Christopher, and Matthew. So if you were born in the 90s, you might have one of those names. Girls uh, was Jessica, Ashley, and Emily. I also found a list because, you know, I was looking for lists and I kept going. Uh, for the, the top names from 1910 to 2009. The top three boy names were James, John, and Robert. I think we have each of those. Somebody named that each of those here today, right? The top three girl names were Mary, Patricia, and Jennifer. Would you agree that names are important? I mean, as a parent, you hopefully spend a lot of time thinking about the names that you would give your child. It's important because the name represents something. You know, not as much in our culture as in the past. In the past, you know, your name meant everything. I mean, it, it was a representation of your character. Uh, and, and parents chose names based on what they wanted their kids to be. Um, in some cultures, even they would wait until the child was older and displayed characteristics before they would name, uh, give, it a, give that child an official name. When Gracie was born, <clears throat> Gracie's full name is Abigail Grace Hayes, and we named her Abigail. She was going to be Abby Grace, but, you know, Gracie just fit her personality. She was a little fiery, and Gracie seemed to fit as, as, a, as a baby, um, and so, but Abigail, we chose that name, and we knew that that was a story in the Bible, but we didn't. I'd love to say, that, you know, we were looked at the story and gave it great thought in terms of the biblical story. We just liked the name. But, uh, but we, we, we weren't thinking of the biblical story, but man, what a great story that is. What a great figure in the Bible Abigail is. And we're going to look at Abigail this morning. She truly is a portrait of honor. She is a picture of honor and dignity. And so we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 25 today. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, um, you know, although this is, a, this is an often overlooked story, it is a very important story. It's an interesting story with lessons of honor, integrity, 
proper relations between husband and wife. Um, and, and, and not only that, the way you handle yourself, if you are a spouse and you're, you're, if you're a husband or a wife and your spouse is not honoring the Lord. I mean, Abigail shows us the proper way to fulfill the role of wife, but also there are lessons for us husbands. And guess what? There are lessons here, whether you're married or not. There are lessons of honor and integrity that we all need to pay attention to as we look at this story. This story really begins with the death of Samuel. Um, you know, by this time, it's known that David is, is anointed to be the next king of Israel. Uh, he's been chosen, and so Saul's not real thrilled with that. And while Samuel was alive, he was kind of, buffer, kind of a buffer between Saul and David, sort of a, a layer of protection. And so when Samuel dies, David reads that, rightly so, as trouble for him, and so he flees to the wilderness of Paran. Now, if you look at 1 Samuel chapter 25, verses 4 uh, through 13, really, if you look at that, you'll, you'll see uh, the setting that this takes place in. David flees to Paran, uh, you know, Saul's wanting to kill him. He doesn't want David to be the next king. And so he goes to this place that is basically the wild, wild west of that day. It is a dangerous place. It is not a great place to live. And David, he gets together this, this band of sort of misfit warriors. Initially about 400 guys that are combat ready. I mean, they are tough guys who are not organized, but he organizes them. He gets them together. He unites these 400 guys. By the time we get to our passage today, it's more like 600 guys. But these guys are basically the law of the land there. They, David organizes these guys. They would give their lives for him. He's their leader, and they are the police of the wild, wild west. And so if you lived there during this day, if you had cattle, if you had sheep, you liked David and his men because he provided protection for you and your cattle, you, your sheep, your property. Where there was no protection, David provided that protection. And they paid him for it. He didn't force them to pay him, but they were glad to do it. The people that lived there were glad to because, again, before he was there, it was every man for himself, and it was a very dangerous place to live. And so they appreciated what he did. And so that sets up the story where we pick it up today. This guy named Nabal, David provides protection for he and his property. Uh, and so David expects, not required, but he expects to be paid. And the right thing to do was to pay David and his men for this pr protection. And so David goes to him. He explains what is happening. David gets the message that, hey, forget you, I'm not paying you. It's basically Nabal's response. So David takes 400 of his men and he's going to Nabal to take him out. David's saying, okay, since you're not willing to do this, my men and I, we're going to kill you. And listen, Nabal would have been no match. His, his people would have been no match for these warriors that were combat ready. And so that's, our, that's where we pick up. They are on their way. But before David and his men reach Nabal, the events take a surprising turn. One of Nabal's young men who had heard this exchange between David, uh, his men, and Nabal, he goes to, you guessed it, Abigail. While Nabal, not the nicest or brightest guy in the world, this guy knows, this servant knows that Abigail is and that she will listen. 
and she will do something about it. So we pick up in verse 14. One of Nabal's young men informed Abigail, Nabal's wife, Look, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, but he yelled at them. The master treated us well. When we were in the field, we weren't harassed, and nothing of ours was missing the whole time we were living among them. They were a wall around us. He goes a step further. Not only did they provide protection, but they were like a wall around us. No, nothing, no one could get to us. Both day and night they were. The entire time we were herding sheep. Now consider carefully what you must do because there is, a, there is certain to be trouble for our master and his entire family. He is such a worthless fool, nobody can talk to him. This young man knew who David was. He knew they were in trouble. They would be no match for David and his men. But he also knew Abigail would know that too. While Nabal refused to pay attention, he knew that Abigail would do what was right. He could see David good, his good intention. He, he had been there. He had seen, he had experienced the protection that David and his men offered when they didn't have to. And so he saw David for who he was. He saw his good intentions. And so he describes the protection. He goes a step farther and says, hey, they were a wall around us. We felt safe. They protected all of Nabal's men, all of his property. David had been good to him. Just like, according to Jonathan, David had been good to Saul. And there's a tie in there that we'll make. There's a connection there that we'll make in just a few moments. But the young man also knew how foolish Nabal was, and he knew, he said it, and so he goes to the only person he can, he goes to Abigail, and from this, there are some characteristics we see in Abigail that we all, whether you're a mom or not, whether you're a man or a woman, adult or child, there are some characteristics here that we need to adopt and that need to be displayed in our, our life. She handled the situation honorably. The first characteristic, Abigail showed dedication. She showed dedication. It wasn't easy. She didn't have an easy life, uh, but she shows dedication. She was dedicated even though her husband was not. And if you look at the name Nabal, it's interesting. It means fool. <laughs> you got to wonder. <laughs> the chances are this was probably either a name given by the writer uh, of the story or it was a nickname for him. Or maybe, you know, it just it didn't initially mean full and it came to mean full because of his life and his, his actions, his reputation. Um, hopefully, I, I can't imagine a parent naming their child fool, but maybe they named him when he was a little older and realized, I don't know. Uh, but chances are, you know, this was either a nickname or, or something like that. But, the, but regardless, you get the point, right? I mean, this guy, his, reputa his reputation preceded him. Everybody who knew him knew he was a fool. And they said as much. He was not a wise person. Uh, and he showed that in, in many ways. It's been said, I don't know where this came from. It's not original to me. A fool who knows he's a fool is much wiser than a fool who thinks he's wise. And, and Nabal is the latter. He thinks he's got it all together. He thinks he can do whatever he wants. But in fact, he's a fool. So how did a woman like Abigail end up with a man like Nabal? I mean, she's honorable, she's all about integrity. Well, chances are it was an arranged marriage, and that, those days that was very common. And so parents would arrange marriages for their children. Now, don't be too hard on Abigail's parents. She probably, he probably came from a good family. They probably thought he was going to be a good match for her. Maybe he even had them fooled, and, and they thought he was an honorable man. 
Uh, most of the time in those days, those arranged marriages worked out just fine, but there were occasions where it didn't, and this is one of those occasions. For whatever reason, a, an honorable woman like Abigail was matched with a man who was known to be a fool. And, but she, most likely, that's how she got there. She ended up in this relationship to no fault of her own, but she, regardless, she did what was right in the midst of this difficult circumstance uh, in, this, in this relationship. Nabal, plain and simple, was just a bad husband. I mean, there's just no two ways about it. And we see that. We see that in his response to David. He's just a man who doesn't have character. But we also see in his lack of response in just a few moments, uh, when Abigail saves his life, no response. He's just a bad husband. Uh, no doubt, though, her life, Abigail's life with Nabal, was, was difficult. This forces me to think about what type of husband I am. I mean, I, I, wanna, I don't want to be a fool. <laughs> I don't want to waste what God has blessed me with. And, and it challenged me. Men, we all need to be challenged today, always. You know, we need to, to ask ourselves, if people are looking from the outside in at how we treat our wives, how we respond to them, how we talk about them when they're not around, um, what type of husband, how do we treat them when no one's looking? What type of husband are we? Andy Dillard, in her book, The Writing Life, tells of an experiment that was done to butterflies. The experiment involved placing a male butterfly with a female butterfly in a cage or in a, an enclosed space with a female butterfly um, that was ready to mate. But they did something else. They took a cardboard butterfly that was bigger and more colorful than any butterfly could possibly be. And guess what that man did, or that, that male butterfly did? He spent all his time trying to woo the cardboard butterfly, ignoring the real butterfly next to him. Funny, but think about this, men. How many men today are looking at cardboard butterflies when God's giving them, giving them a real life one next to them? Chasing after something that's not real. I could quote statistics of addiction to pornography but that's butterflies do it and humans do it too we chase things that aren't real we 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 think that there's something better out there when what we should be doing is pouring our love and affection into the blessing that God has given us you get the idea that that's what Nabal did right he had this wonderful beautiful woman of integrity right next to him and he didn't realize it he was a fool Men, let's don't be fools. Let's make sure we love and appreciate the beautiful woman that God has given us. Let's not ignore and chase after something that's not real. Nabal earned his reputation partly because of the way he treated his wife. He was not a good husband, but she was a woman of integrity. If God has blessed you men with a wonderful woman like her, don't take it for granted. Appreciate your wife. Thank God for the blessing that is her. And also listen to your wife. <laughs> she, she, she's very wise. She will be the best, the best advisor you'll ever have, a godly wife. It reminds me of a joke. A guy goes to the doctor, and he tells his doctor, I think my wife is losing her hearing. I mean, she just doesn't, she's not responding to me. I, I say things, and it's like I'm not there. And the doctor said, okay, here's what you do. I'm going to give you a test you can perform. Go home. And when she's at the kitchen or somewhere, you know, in, a, in the room and her back is to you, you, she doesn't know you're there, 
just stand there and say something and see if she responds. And if she doesn't respond, you'll know that she's got a problem with her hearing. So one day his wife's in the kitchen at the kitchen counter back to him. He stands, I don't know, about 15 feet away or so. And he says, honey, what's for dinner? No response. So he moves in a little bit closer, a few feet closer. He says, honey, what's for dinner? No response. She's still standing there back to him, no response. So he moves just a few feet closer. And he says, honey, what's for dinner? Nothing. So finally he gets right up behind her, I mean right at the back of her head, and says, honey, what's for dinner? She spins around angrily and says, for the fourth time we're having chicken. Think about it, it'll come to you. You know, how many times must Abigail have told Nabal something and he just ignored her, just didn't pay attention? And I doubt it was because his hearing was going, right? See, men, sometimes we have selective hearing. I've been accused of that a few times in my my almost 19 years of being married. Um, But sometimes we just ignore. And I... There had to have been times where Nabal just ignored his wife because she, I'm sure, gave good advice plenty of times. The best critic, the best advisor you'll ever have is a godly wife, and the best critic you'll ever have is a godly wife. She will be honest with you and do it in love. A godly wife will. Even if you don't want to hear it, she will tell you what you need to hear. I tell you what, there, there are times, there's no doubt in my marriage, there's never been a day where I felt like my wife did not support me, love me, she's the best encourager I have. When I go home feeling like I've preached the worst sermon in the world, she'll tell me everything I need to hear, even sometimes I don't think it's true, but she'll tell me what I need to hear to make me feel better. But she also has a way of telling me what I need to hear and doing it in a way that makes me not doubt her love for me, but knows that her intentions are good. She's the best critic I've ever had. And anything that I am as a husband and as a father is because she's right by my side, even as a pastor. She takes, God gets the glory, but she gets a lot of credit too. Um, She's the best critic I've ever had. A godly wife will be the best critic. If you'll listen, she'll be the best critic. 1 Samuel 25, 25, again, look at this. My Lord should pay no attention to this worthless man, Nabal. It's fast-forwarding a little bit. She had lived it. He lives up to his name. His name is Debal, and stupidity is all he knows. I, your servant, Lord, please don't let my wife ever describe me that way. (laughs) I, your servant, didn't see my Lord's young men whom you sent. She's saying, and we'll get to this, she's saying, hey, listen, if I'd seen them, I I would have done something. It's hard to stay committed to the Lord when your spouse is not. But somehow she does. And listen, for for all of us who are married, this is a lesson. If you want a strong marriage, a marriage that's going to stand the storms of life, you both have to be committed first to the Lord and then to each other. You You can't do it. You can't make it if you're not both committed to the Lord. And my beautiful, lovely wife is going to help me illustrate that this morning. If you would come up. All the kids have done it. It's her turn now. <laughs> so, so I've got three, you know, you, you look in, in God's word. And this is not in your notes, but I do, I do want to share this verse. Ecclesiastes 4.12, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three, three, <laughs> or even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Now think about that verse in light of marriage. 
I've got three strands here, and, and by themselves, they're easily separated, right? Hey, even if I twist them, that provides some protection, but I've got, to, I've got to hang on to it. I'm doing it on my own strength, and it's not going to take much just letting go, and immediately they come apart. Now, listen, I have two girls, and I had one hairstyle that I did. Put it in a ponytail to the side and let it go. <laughs> I never tried to braid. Or if I did try, I wasn't very successful. But this verse is talking about braiding, right? And, and when you take the husband and wife, the relationship by ourselves, if you've got me over here, you've got Mandy over here, you've got Christ here, our marriage is not going to be very strong. But if it's all braided together with Christ in the center, it's going to hold it. It's a different story. You tell me if I'm doing this right, okay? Am I doing okay so far? All right. Maybe I should have braided their hair. I know it's harder when it's hair because there's just so much of it, right? <laughs> I don't know. I just don't have the patience for it, I don't think. All right. Separate. They are not strong, but braided together, they are. All right. I'm going to keep going. Y'all just talk among yourselves. It's okay. <laughs> talk about what you're going to have for dinner in just a little while. I shouldn't mention food. I'll lose y'all's attention. All right. I think that's probably enough. Now, again, you would tie this at the end, but now look at this. Try to stick your finger in there and separate that. Can't do it, can you? It's hard. You can get in there a little bit, but you can't separate. Now, think about this in terms of our marriage or your marriage. If Christ is not only first, but in, in it all, in my life, if he's in the center of my life, and he affects, influences, directs everything in my life, my life will be Christ-centered. And in our marriage, if he's in the center, not just first, but in the center and affects it all, directs it all, my, my marriage will be Christ-centered. And nothing can tear that apart. Thanks, honey. And that should be our desire. But Nabal was not a part of that braid. You had, you had the Lord, God, in the center of Abigail's wife, but not Nabal's. And, but even as bad as he was, Abigail shows that she has remained dedicated. She also shows great wisdom. She is a woman of wisdom, dedication and wisdom. Abigail was determined to pay, to pay the debt her husband would not pay, rightfully should have paid, but wouldn't. Now, let's look. We've seen Nabal's name. Let's look at Abigail's name. Abigail means, I'm not sure if this is on the screen or not, but you can write it down. Abigail means my father's joy. She was a joy to the men in her life and could have been to, to Nabal had he recognized her as such, but he didn't. The irony here is painful when you think about it. A woman having noticeable wisdom who was a joy to others married a fool, a man named Fool. And that's what she, what, that was her situation in life. She was a discerning, if you look later, you see that she's described by David as discerning, literally, of good, good of understanding. She quickly understood the seriousness of this situation. She saw it. And she, saw, she knew that this was serious. Look at verse 18 of 1 Samuel 25. Abigail hurried. She sees the situation. The servant tells her what's going on, so she hurries. She takes 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five butchered sheep, a bushel of roasted grain, 
100 clusters of raisins and 200 cakes of pressed figs and loaded them on donkeys. She literally cooked enough to feed an army because that's what she had to do. I mean, we're talking 400 men. There were 200 still back that were left back. So she cooks enough to feed an army. It was more a token of goodwill than anything. She knew David was coming. She knew they were in trouble, so she's trying her best to bring peace to the situation. She knew her only hope was to appeal to David. So she approaches David, and you can feel the tension mounting. Look at verse 20. As she rode the donkey down a mountain pass, hidden from view, she saw David and his men coming toward her to meet them. From David's own words, we see... Now look at this. David is not exactly in the right here either. And we're going to see some parallels between this situation and what he's dealing with with Saul. But if you look at verse 21 and 22 from his own mouth, the chances of stopping David are not very good. All right? Look at verse 21. David just said, I guarded everything that belonged to this man in the wilderness for nothing. He was not missing anything, yet he paid me back evil for good. Now, that's a familiar phrase. He paid me back evil for good. May God punish me and do so severely if I let any of his men survive until morning. Now, if you go back to the previous chapter, Saul says the same thing about himself. He recognizes that he had paid David evil for good that David had done to him. In that situation, David refrained from repaying evil with evil. He did the right thing. You remember in the cave, Paul is relieving himself. David could have taken his life, but he didn't because it wasn't the right thing to do. Now, something's changed here. Yes, Saul was the king, but it's still the right thing to do here is not to take this man's life. And so... He needs to recognize that. But in this moment, David was in a dangerous mood when he meets Abigail. Abigail's putting herself in danger for the sake of the people in her life. And yes, even her husband, who was a fool. She put herself, she put others before herself. She was was an incredible woman of honor. She pleads with David. At the center of this chapter, though, is Abigail's speech. What a brilliant speech. First, she approached David with respect. Look at verse 23. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off the donkey, fell with her face to the ground in front of David. She bowed to David. Her words then match her posture. Verse 24, she fell at his feet and said, The guilt is mine, my Lord. Not really, but she's taking it on. She's taking it on herself. The guilt is mine, my Lord, but please let your servant speak to you directly. Listen to the words of your servant. This is an amazing act of self-sacrifice here. She's doing this for those servants, for those people. She's giving herself, putting herself at risk. By taking the guilt on herself, she's attempting a dramatic change in this situation. Presenting herself as his servant, Abigail begs to be heard. Total humility. She uses the word Lord 14 times in this speech. Complete humility. And then she presses on in verse 25. My Lord should pay no attention to this worthless man. I've already read this, who lives up to his name. His name is Nabal, and stupidity is all he knows. I, your servant, didn't see my Lord's young men who you sent. Her first plea was that David give Nabal the attention he deserves, which is none. Pay no attention to him. Fool by name, fool by nature. 
And David would not have been so badly treated, she's saying, if I had known, I would have taken care of you. I didn't know. Wouldn't have been so badly treated. And then in verse 26, she says, Now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, it is the Lord who kept you from participating in bloodshed and avenging yourself by your own hand. May your enemies and those who want trouble for you, my Lord, be like Nabal. Now, this shows just how wise she really is. Think about that. May your enemies and those who want trouble for you, for my Lord, be like Nabal. Her second appeal was a prayer based on her understanding of who David was and what God had intended for him. The Lord himself had kept David from disaster here. Think about this, by putting Abigail in his path. What would have happened if he had gone through with this? I mean, number one, he would have participated in bloodshed. It wasn't the right thing to do, plain and simple. But why is he running in the first place? Why is he in Paran? Because Saul is chasing after him. If he does this, he gives Saul ammunition. I told you David was a crazy, reckless person. Look at him. He's taking people's lives. He's participating in bloodshed. And Saul suddenly has a reason to gain momentum against David. Now, how in the world would Abigail have known this if she wasn't godly? If she wasn't in tune to God's plan? She knows what she knows about David, but God is directing her. And God sent her at this time to keep David from doing something he should not do. And for his own good, his own protection. Her basic argument is let the Lord deal with your enemies. You don't need to. That's a lesson for all of us. There are some things in life that we can do nothing about. People, circumstances. And sometimes all we can do is leave it in the Lord's hands and let him deal with it. And he will in his time. She's reminding David of his identity as the Lord's anointing, and she gently encourages him to behave like God's anointed, and somebody needed to. can't tell you how many times my wife has gently encouraged me to behave like the man I'm called to be. And a godly woman will do that, and she's doing that now for David, Abigail is. Besides, the battle's the Lord. And then third, she begs for forgiveness. This is the climax of her speech, verse 28. Please forgive your servant's offense, for the Lord is certain to make a lasting dynasty for my Lord for David, because he fights the Lord's battles throughout your life. May evil not be found in you. When someone pursues you and attempts to take your life, my Lord's life will be tucked safely in the place where the Lord your God protects the living. However, he will fling away your enemies' lives like stones from a sling. Whoa. <laughs> a little callback <laughs> to David's younger days. He will fling your enemies' lives. Remember, David, God's protected you. He's handled your battles in the past. You need to let him do it now. Verse 30. When the Lord does for my Lord all the good he promised and appoints you ruler over Israel, there will not be remorse or troubled con a troubled conscience for my Lord because of the needless bloodshed or my Lord's revenge. And when the Lord does good things for my Lord, may you remember me, your servant. Abigail really did take responsibility for her husband's actions. She appeals. She puts herself in danger. She begs for forgiveness. She reminds David of who he is and what God has intended for him. And gently points out that if he does this, there will be great consequences. Nabal and his servants would have been no match for David and his 400 men. But if David had succeeded, if he had gone through with this... It would give, have given Saul the evidence he needed to chase him down and take him out. Abigail knew this. David needed to hear it. God would secure David's kingdom on his own without David's help. He could do it because he's God. 
Vengeance belongs to him, not David, or me, or you. Vengeance is God's. This entire speech exemplifies her wisdom, her dedication, her integrity. And I want to fast forward before we come back to the end. I want to fast forward before we come to the next point. And that's where we see a result of her plea, and we point out her honesty. Abigail told Nabal what she had done. Now, at first, she keeps it from him. She didn't tell him about her mission. Look at verse 19. Go back to verse 19. Then she said to her male servants, go ahead of me. I will, I will be right behind you. But she did not tell her husband. Now, why did she not do that? Well, other people's lives were at stake. His reputation was what it was. And according to the customs of the day, she had every right to distribute these possessions. As the mistress of the house, she could do it with or without his permission. So she's not doing anything wrong here. She just knows right now is not the time to tell her husband. And there are, there are a couple of reasons for that. Um, she does tell him, but when she returns, she doesn't tell him immediately because he's drunk. So she waits wisely. She doesn't keep it from him. After she completed her mission, after he sobers up, she tells him. Verse 37, in the morning when Nabal sobered up, his wife told him about these things. She's honest. She's not being dishonest here. She had every right to do what she did, and there was no sense telling, telling him when she came back because he was drunk as a skunk. So she waits, and she tells him. And by the way, in telling him, she's telling him, I've saved your life. You, you should be dead right now. So she's honest completely. And you would think that Nabal would be grateful for Abigail saving his life, but again, his name, his reputation, he's a fool. He wasn't. But God noticed, and that's all that matters. And as a result, Abigail is blessed. And that's the fourth characteristic. She's blessed. Blessed by God. She was rewarded for her devotion to David. Some truths to remember here as we finish up from this story. Abigail did what she was supposed to do. She couldn't do anything about her husband. He, he had made his own choices. All she could do was be faithful. It's a lesson for all of us. I can't control others. All I can control is me and my faithfulness or the lack thereof. But here's some truths, and hopefully this will bring you comfort. Number one, God sees you even if no one else does. He sees your heart. He knows what your intentions are. He knows your motives. And he knows the real you. Whether it's your husband or somebody else in your life, if they don't notice you, God does. Or your wife or whatever. Your kids. Look at verse 32. David said to Abigail, Praise the Lord God of Israel who sent you to meet me today. Even David recognized God sees what you're doing. This is him. He brought you here. Next, God appreciates you even if your spouse or someone else in your life does not. If you're here today and you're in a marriage, your spouse doesn't appreciate you. For whatever reason, your circumstances in life, there's somebody who doesn't. Know that God does. If you're faithful, if you're serving him, if you're growing in him, if you're passionately pursuing him, God sees you, and he will honor that. Look at verse 32 and 33. David said to Abigail, praise to the Lord God of Israel who sent you to meet me today. Your discernment is blessed. That's where he calls her discerning, verse 33. Your discernment is blessed, and you are blessed. Today you kept me from participating in bloodshed and avenging myself by my own hand. You know, we don't see much of a difference between the character of Nabal and the character of David until this point. Before this, David is not acting wise. He, he's acting more toward the fool end of the spectrum until this moment. But this is what makes it small, 
but it makes all the difference, the difference that we see here. David is described in Scripture as a man after God's own heart. Now, what does that mean? Well, it simply means this, and you could take, if you want to be a man or a woman after God's own heart, the statement I'm about to read, you take David's name out, put your name in, and this, this should describe you if, if you want to be a man or a woman after God's own heart. Being a man after God's own heart means that whatever touches the heart of God also touches the heart of David. Does what touches your heart, is it the same as what touches the heart of God? Whatever moves God to acts of compassion or judgment also moves David. It means that the heart of David beat in sync with the heart of God. Oh, that is my prayer. That my heart beats in sync with the heart of God. That is my prayer for my wife. That is my prayer for my sons and my daughters. That their hearts beat in sync with the heart of God. That what touches God touches me. That what moves me to act, whether it's compassion or judgment, whatever the case may be, is what's already moved the heart of God. That's who David was. He forgot that for a moment. And there's a couple times in his life where he did. But he comes back to that. He responds. And that's the difference. David responded. David reminded the future king of Israel of his relationship with the Lord. And as she spoke, his anger melted away. It's amazing, isn't it? As he heard the truth and received the truth, his anger melts away and it turns into gratitude and appreciation. Don't miss how grateful he was. She not only saved her husband's neck, but she also saved David's. I mean, again, Saul would have had ammunition that he needed and his reputation. God used her to save the people. She was important to God. And this is where we learn another truth. God rewards you even if you don't expect it. And it may not be what you think, and it may not be in the time that you want, but if you are faithful, God will reward you. Now look at verse 39. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, praise the Lord. Again, Lord, please don't let anybody say that about me one day. He said, praise the Lord who championed my cause against Nabal's insults and restrained his servant from doing evil. So he's not necessarily praising God that Nabal's dead, okay? He's praising God because God was faithful and God championed his cause. The Lord brought Nabal's evil deeds back on his own head. God judged, just as Scripture says. God judged. Then David sent messengers to speak to Abigail about marrying him. He recognized this is a special woman. And so he sends, special, he sends messengers. When David's servants came to Abigail at Carmel, they said to her, David sent us to bring you to him as a wife. She stood up then bowed her face to the ground and said, Here I am, Lord, your servants. She said, Here I am, your servant, to wash your feet in my Lord's servants. Then Abigail got up quickly with her five female servants accompanying her, rode the donkey following David's messengers, and she became his wife. Now, no doubt she was committed to the Lord. Don't listen. She was committed to God, and she was committed to her husband, who was a fool. She was committed anyway. So don't mistake that. Don't doubt that for a minute, okay? Her actions have already shown that, right? I mean, we've already seen. She's, her, her actions speak louder than anything that would be to the contrary of that. Unfortunately, Nabal was not committed to the Lord, and the Lord judged him. The Lord was finally done with him, and he took him out. But one would imagine, even though she was dedicated, it's not hard to imagine that her life was no picnic. It was not easy to be married to that man. 
It would have been a great, this story would have been fantastic if Nabal would have thrown his arms around her, recognized what he had in her, and changed his life and dedicated his life to the Lord. But he did not do that, and as a result, he suffered God's judgment. In the morning, verse 37, Nabal sobered up. His wife told him about these events. Nothing changed. So then he had a seizure and became paralyzed. About 10 days later, the Lord struck Nabal dead. In the end, God dealt with Nabal. David didn't have to. Just as Abigail said, it wasn't his battle to fight. God took care of it. Nabal received his just, just deserts, but not from David's hand. Romans 12, 19, Deuteronomy 32, 35, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. He repays evil, but he also rewards. David would now take care of Abigail as his wife. Now, we need to be careful here. We need to understand that death... We accept this story like many in the Bible. These are extraordinary events and that are used to teach us very important principles about life and serving God. Okay? These are extraordinary events. De- the death of any human being is not something to be taken lightly. This is a sad story. A man who could have been saved refused and he lost his life. Now, if it were a movie, this is the point everybody would be cheering. But that's the point is... Nabal had a choice, and he chose not to follow God, where Abigail chose to be obedient to God, and she was rewarded. Her actions demonstrated that she was an extraordinary woman, a wife that any king would be a fool to overlook, and David knew that. So he, he requests that she become his wife. David's actions demonstrated that he was a real man, strong enough to realize that he was wrong, strong enough to take a wise rebuke to heart, to examine his choices, to trust the Lord, and to do what was right in God's eyes. Now, a couple lessons for all of us to take with us that we can all learn from this story. From David, we learn that rash reactions never pay off. David's quick temper almost led him to murder. Think, though, think through your consequence, the consequences to your we don't we, we seldom think of consequences until we're faced with them, right? How much pain would we save ourselves if we would think about the consequences before we act? Thankfully, David did, but he had to have help to do that. Sleep on it. Seek counsel. And then listen. From Nabal, we learn that insensitive mates leave untold heartache around them. Now, this applies to wives and husbands here, okay? And wives, I'm not, being too, I'm not trying to be hard on you on Mother's Day, okay? I'm going to be hard on the men in just a second, so hang on. This applies to wives who rob their husbands of dignity and respect through continual criticism and a generally dismissive attitude. To him, love and respect are the same thing. To your husband, love and respect are the same thing. When you criticize him or fail to trust him, it causes untold heartache. Now, husbands, husbands who strip their wives of self-worth and value by dismissing their counsel, failing to see their positive qualities, or chasing after that butterfly, fake butterfly. Communication, listen to this, communication is to a woman what physical intimacy is to you. If it ever gets to a point in your marriage where your wife stops trying to talk to you, you are in trouble. She wants to talk to you, and you need to talk to her. And Guys, we're not good at that, but we, need to, we have to learn. Your insensitivity not only crushes your wife, but it could lead to your own destruction. 
From Abigail, we learn that wise partners make the best use of timing and tact. When Abigail sensed danger, no one had to tell her to move quickly. She moved. Wisdom knows when to slow down and evaluate all things, but wisdom also knows when to seize the moment and take action. Abigail was a wise woman. We should seek wisdom. Now I want to show you a picture of another special lady in our history. That's Rosa Parks. A lot of people find doing God's will difficult. Rosa Parks found it hard when she was arrested on December 1st, 1955 for refusing to go to give her seat to a white man so she could go to the back of the bus and sit. It was difficult to imagine that arrest taking place 65 plus years later, but it did, and it's a part of our history. And that simple act, the reason it's so well known is her simple act of faithfulness and bravery changed the landscape of America forever. In her book, Quiet Strength, she writes this. She says, when I sat down on the bus that day, I had no idea history was being made. I was only thinking of getting home. But I had made up my mind after so many years of being a victim of mistreatment, my people, the mistreatment my people suffered, not giving up my seat. And whatever I had to face afterwards was not important. Now listen to this. I did not feel any fear sitting there. I felt the Lord would give me the strength to endure whatever I had to face. It was time for someone to stand up, or in my case, to sit down. So I refused to move. If God calls you to stand or if God calls you to sit, do what he calls you to do. Do it immediately and do it faithfully. God will give you strength. And if we learn anything from Abigail is that God sees us. He knows our hearts. He knows our intentions. And if we are faithful, even if nobody else in the world recognizes it, he will. And he will reward us. It may be in heaven, but hey, <laughs> that's fine by me. Because it's going to be a special reward. So as we celebrate Mother's Day, as we look at one of the most honorable women, a lesser-known story, but what an incredible example of honor and dignity. Let's evaluate our own lives. Men, women, old, young. When God sees our heart because he does, what does he see? Does he see a man or a woman, an older student, a young boy or a girl chasing after, pursuing God? Or does he see someone who has no interest truly in the things of God? Let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart and you respond however he leads. We're going to pray together and we're going to have a time of invitation. If God leads you to make a decision to pursue after him, I encourage you to come and share that with me. If God leads you to come and just spend some time at his feet at this altar, you do that. Whatever God leads you to do, however he leads you to respond, you do that. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the invitation to respond to your word. And I pray that, Lord, we truly would, that we would, we would hear your voice as you've spoken through your word. And right now, as we have this opportunity to make our commitment, Lord, whatever it is that you would have us to do, I pray that we would do it. Whether it's making a decision to accept salvation through your son, or if it's committing ourselves to being a man or a woman, boy or girl, student, of integrity, honorable, pursuing you in everything that we do. Whatever you lead us to do, may we respond in obedience. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.